Hello everybody. I am extremely excited to be, well, I suppose all I'm doing is introducing a, a, a launch that I am really, really have been looking forward to for a long time. It is the book, Nation on the Couch, by the amazing Wabi Long. I am his publisher, in case you don't know, and you know, I, I somehow managed to find amazing books and I always am fascinated how I get to find them. So this time round, I have to thank Richard Pithouse of New Frame because he literally said to me, you need to meet Wabi Long. <laughs> you need to read his book. And I just went, okay, I'll publish it because Richard, I think is pretty fab. And uh, I didn't even, you know, need to read that much of it, to be honest. I just read the first three chapters and I think I phoned Wabi and said, uh, let's do this. So everybody, Nation on the Couch is a book that we really need to read at the moment. It's a, uh, if ever you needed like cheap therapy as a nation, <laughs> which will cost you about 280 bucks. One session is all you need because you're going to have the book forever. We do need to go into some kind of psychoanalysis right now. I think we all know that. And our brains are all a little bit shod. And uh, Wabi gives incredible insight into what is wrong with our country. What is wrong with us? And in this very unjudgmental way and very loving way, in the way that psychoanalysts and psychologists, the good ones, manage their patients. He manages us through this book in the most uh, productive way possible. I'm now gonna introduce the person who is going to be in conversation with Wabi, which, which is a person I've longed to meet. It is Mark Soames. I'm sure, Mark, you're a doctor, professor, and all the rest, but I know that all these very academic people love not to be called by their doctor, professor's names. But what are you? Are you a doctor, professor? only in Germany that they do that. They say Professor Dr. Dr. Mark Zolbs. Okay. And you and you originate from Namibia? That's right, yes. So kannst du Deutsch sprechen? I was born in Luderitz. Yeah. But Mark is a really well-known, a really well-respected South African psychoanalyst and a neuropsychologist, which I think is a fantastic word. He is currently the director, am I getting it right, of neuropsychology at UCT. He has written a number of fabulous books. The latest one is The Hidden Spring. It's just come out. Um, and then the man of the moment, Wabi Long. I feel like I'm introducing a boxing match, but it's not quite that. Um, Wabi, I'm so proud of you. And you just have been an absolute pleasure to work with. So I, I just want to thank you for that. Feeling is mutual, Melinda. It's been fantastic uh, meeting you and working with you and the team. Guys, if you don't know who, who Professor Doctor and actually Wabi just likes to be called Wabi, um, who Wabi Long is, he's a clinical psychologist. He is the associate associate professor in the Department of Psychology at UCT. And um, he's also a very, very clever guy, a brilliant writer, a family man. He's got a gorgeous wife beautiful daughters. I hope you don't have a son that I'm missing out on because I just think it's girls. But guys, enjoy the conversation. Thank you very much, Melinda. Um, so gosh, that's quite a hard act to follow, Wakbi. Uh, she, she, she's, she's a force of nature. Yes, she is. Um, a real, uh, as you say, a force of nature with remarkable drive, remarkable drive and 
and passion for publishing, Mark. Wonderful. Well, um, that's what we need. So I want to tell you what I have in mind um, is not so much a conversation as an interview. I want to ask you questions. Um, and the, uh, I've chosen six questions. Uh, I've, I've actually written them down. Uh, and they all of them designed to give you an opportunity not to say yes or no, uh, but rather to, to uh, elaborate. I, I, I'm trying to um, uh, provide a platform for you to be able to set out your stall um, and, and describe, describe your argument uh, for us. As you know, uh, that's why I'm here. I'm very enamored with your argument. When, when I, even just the title of your book, when I, when I saw Nation on the Couch, I said, yes, that's what we need. You know, we need to be placed on the couch. And uh, from the title to the contents of the book, you know, it, it just uh, not only did it not disappoint, it, it really was an, a, a banquet. It was just, it was a, well, a banquet is the wrong word. It was a bomb. Um, and I felt so much better by the end of it. So uh, I, I want you to tell uh, our audience, you know, what, what this is all about, what it is that you've, that you've got to say. Um, but I want to forewarn you, not only what I've just said now, Wachbe, I don't want yes and no answers. I want you to really give free reign to um, explaining as much as you think we, we, we need to be explained to. Um, but I want to forewarn you that of these six questions, the sixth one, I'm going to tell you now what that question is so that you can think about it in your copious spare time between now and the end of this uh, it's, it's, as I say, more an interview than a discussion. At the end, I want you to make a diagnosis. Uh, I want you to tell us what is the matter? What is wrong with us? Um, I know that you do that in great and sensitive detail in the book, but, I, but I, I'd like to end with that because I think that's the question that certainly was foremost on my mind when I, when I saw the, the title of your book. Um, and I, I think it's front of mind for, for, for very many South Africans, you know, what the is wrong with us? Join the dots, as some politicians say. Okay, um, I'll, keep that, I'll keep that sixth question percolating, Mark, whilst great. we go through the other five. Great. So, as I said, I'm, I'm really wanting to give you an opportunity to to set out your stall, to, to explain what, what it is that you're conveying so, so valuably in this book. And, and so I'll just start by saying why, this is the first question, why did you write this book? Yeah, thanks, Mark. Um, sure, you know, there, there, are, there are a few reasons. I mean, I suppose on a purely instrumental reason, I, I had to write the book because I, I I got a lot of money to write it. Um, so from that perspective, I, I, I had no choice. But as I, as I started uh, working on the book, I realized that I had uh, perhaps bitten off more than I could chew. What I was looking to do was to write a book on, on Freudo-Marxism. And, and as you will know, many have tried and many have failed um, in, you know, with, with that uh, line of theorizing. You know, people like uh, Marcuse, Reich, um, even from and, and, and others. Um, but 
intellectually, I, I think that what's, what's interested me for the last few years now is what's probably one of the grand problems in, in theoretical psychology. And, and that has to do with the relationship between the individual and the social levels of analysis. Um, you'll know that there is, there is some hostility between psychologists and sociologists. You know, psych psychologists will criticize sociologists for not taking stock of inner experience. And sociologists will, will you know, point an accusing finger at psychologists for psychologizing everything. Um, the, the problem of how to integrate the individual and the social in psychology is a longstanding problem. And that really is intellectually what, what was driving me um, in, in writing this book. So the, the Freud Marxism project was, was an attempt to, to do just that. Um, but I, I decided as I, as I was running into problem after problem that actually I, I, I'm a little bit lost. I, I don't really know how to resolve this problem. You know, if, if Marcuse couldn't do it and if Reich couldn't do it, I'm not going to do it. Um, so you'll know that I, I ended up giving the keynote uh, address at the, the South African Psychoanalytic Association's um, annual congress in, back in 2019. And um, you made a comment. You, you were in the audience and, and you made a comment and said at the end of, at the, end of the talk that there, there is a dire need for, for psychologists to, to, to comment on, on social issues, social issues in South Africa, but bringing a, a psychoanalytic or a psychodynamic slant to, to, to those kinds of, of commentaries. And it was, it was in that moment, and I, I write as much in my preface, that I, that I knew I had the book. That's when I knew that, you know, I didn't have to write a theoretical tour de force on, on Freud and Marxism. I could simply look at social problems in South Africa and, and try to flesh out not just the social political commentaries, which, and of course, there are many of those um, in, in South African scholarship, but also a psychoanalytic commentary. Um, and so that really is, is um, um, intellectually what I, what I set out to do. On a, on a more personal level, I suppose, I suppose as a South African citizen, um, these are, as the Chinese might say, interesting times. Uh, I don't think anybody who, who is South African and, and, and serious about the, the, the fate of our country. I don't, think, I don't think there's a South African who doesn't wonder where this nation is headed. Um, and so as a, as a South African, as a concerned South African who is bewildered um, by, by the, 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 the social problems that, that really um, assail us on all sides, I thought that maybe on a personal level, I could make a contribution. And that's also why I've, I've written the book in the style that I have. You know, it's, it's academics will read this book and say, and, and recognize the scholarly conventions and all of that. But I've really tried to write it in a way that I think is accessible to, to South Africans who may, who, who, you know, who, who aren't really looking for a hard read, who aren't looking for something that is, that is too convoluted, who, who are looking for something, something that can shed some light on the problems in this country from a psychoanalytic perspective, um, but that can also be practical in a way, um, that can offer some, some, some useful pointers in, into how to orient ourselves 
um, now that we understand what's going on in the country? Well, um, if that was your aim in terms of the writing style, you certainly succeeded. It's, it's an incredibly readable book. Um, and although, you know, although I'm an academic, it, I, I, I really appreciated that, you know, that, that it, wasn't, it wasn't an intellectual treatise. It was just telling it like it is. And uh, I was delighted to see in your preface um, that I, in some small way, uh, played a part in, um, in, in um, the, the impetus to your, to your writing, uh, Nation on the Couch. Uh, when I said to you there's a dire need for us to, um, to, 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 us psychologists and psychoanalysts, you know, to comment on what's going on, it's because it's so patently obvious that there's something internally the matter. You know, it, how can you have lived through what we have over the decades uh, and the centuries without it leaving some internal scars, without there being some, some internal damage? And, you know, one senses uh, as a psychoanalyst that, there, that something of this kind is going on. Externally, of course, there are dire uh, problems. But but the, the the connection between those and what what we are carrying forwards within us um, is what I was alluding to. But I have to say I didn't know what was the matter uh, within us. You know, I just knew somebody should be talking about that. So I'm I'm really I'm sure I'm far from alone in being grateful to you for grasping that nettle. Um, but you know, we're speaking now about psychological matters. Uh, one of the things uh, in our polarized, um, uh, sort of compartmentalized, fractured, or shall I say factionated uh, a, a political climate, uh, you know, one has to, one has to place uh, an author or a commentator in a, in a box, you know, which, what, what viewpoint is he talking from? Is he one of these or is he one of those? You know, is he radical economic transformation? Is he a sellout? Um, you know, is he a neoliberal? Is so? What what is your um, ideological position? What ideological position are you writing from, or, or, or shall I say, on the political spectrum in South Africa? Where would you locate this book? Um, what what stance does it take, Mark? I think that's one of the one of the questions. Um, the answer to which will will frustrate readers, perhaps, because. Um, I would say that in writing this book, I, I haven't taken a one-size-fits-all um, ideology approach. Uh, I don't think it's possible to do that. Um, in, in a country as, as, as divided as ours, if one is going to um, approach a very complex situation, very complex social, psychological, economic, political situation, um, with a toolbox that contains just a hammer, because the assessment is that every problem is a nail, um, then I don't think we're, we're, we're gonna get very far. Um, what, I've, what I've tried to do instead um, is to deal with issues um, on their own turf, as it were, and not to try and impose um, an ideological straitjacket um, on these issues. Um, so, so for example, you know, some might argue, but surely psychoanalysis is, is politically conservative. Um, it, it, it's got that reputation over the, over the decades. Um, and, and again, I would say 
it depends who's doing the theorizing. You know, if one looks into the, the history of, of, of psychoanalysis and particularly the second generation of, of analysts, you know, people like um, Wilhelm Reich, Annie Reich, um, Edith Jacobson, um, Otto Fenichel, you know, that generation was, was steeped in political radicalism. You know, they were communists, socialists, anarchists, um, you know, very many of them. So, so I, th I think that, you know, perhaps I should, I should already clarify that, that even though I've taken a, a psychoanalytic perspective, that is not to suggest that the book um, shares um, the political outlook that has been associated with psychoanalysis in the past. Again, I think that it, it depends very much on, on who's doing the theorizing and, and also what the, what the objective is. So I, I mean, I cite from, from um, the, the, the whole canon, if one's talking about the ideological continuum. I mean, I cite Marx, I cite Fanon, uh, I cite um, um, Jordan Peterson in passing, that might horrify readers, so you might you might want to read the book first uh, before you take me down for that one. So so really, I I don't um, I, I don't have a, an ideological preference here. I really try to look at um, issues on on their own turf, um, and I think that psychoanalysis has has much to offer. Psychoanalysis has much to offer in analyzing these various um, social issues that that confront us. Uh, in that little list that you uh, that you uh, gave us there, I wondered if you were going to confess to citing Anne Rand. <laughs> just you did. Yes, Anne Rand, Atlas Shrugged. She makes an appearance in 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 one of the chapters as well, yeah. um, particularly around the lights going out um, in in New York right at the end of that novel, and I and I and I draw on that image of the lights going out, and of course, us as South Africans, we know all about the lights going out, right? With with ESCOM and 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 rolling uh, um, power cuts. Um, so yes, Mark. I mean that that's just uh, that's just that just proves the point that I'm I'm not I'm not looking to prove um, ideological points one way or the other. Well, I, I really like your answer to, to that question. Thanks, Wakabi. You know, because the I, I I think that many of us know that all of these um, that there's a need for a new ideology. You know, that the, the, these are all kind of like increasingly unable to to give us intellectual guidance in the times that we find ourselves in, not only in South Africa but perhaps particularly here. So so th that's the way that I. Felt as I as I was asking, you know, as I said, we we all we want to sort of um, ferret out, you know, is this guy BC? Is he pan-Africanist? Is he, you know, non-racial, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, you know, I, I, the fact that it was impossible to say, you know, it, it was more. My, my impression was here somebody really gr groping towards a different way of thinking about things, and I, you know, I I'm sure I'm not the only one who thinks that's what we need. Uh, we're, we're, that's what we're hopefully heading towards, and your your book certainly does that for, on a, on a level. Perhaps I can also just just add on there, Mark. That, but I think you know, I mean, look, it is a provocative book. Um, there will be some chapters that 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 will be upsetting to certain political political constituencies, and there will be other chapters that they love. Um, and and of course, the reverse will hold for for other constituencies. So I'm really glad that. Your impression, you know, when you read the book was that you, you, you couldn't place me ideologically.
because that really was my was my you know one of my intentions when when writing this book was not to was not to um, descend into you know um, ideologizing. So it's 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 great for me to hear that 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 is indeed how the book read for you. Yeah. Well, to say the same thing in different words that I suppose you can't yourself use, it was courageous. It takes courage uh, to do that. Uh, uh, so, so you know, good on you and thank you. Um, but now um, I'm, I'm coming to my third question, um, which, which uh, those who haven't read the book might not know why I'm asking this, but it is so fundamental uh, to, to your argument that I, I kind of have to ask you. Uh, you, you, what on earth do you mean by a political unconscious? What is a political? I know what the personal unconscious is. I'm troubled by mine all the time. Keeps on popping out. Uh, but what do you mean by a, a political unconscious? Okay. Well, perhaps I can perhaps I can um, preface my my response, Mark, by just saying at the outset that I'm certainly not responsible for coining that phrase, the political unconscious. You know, the, the idea of a political unconscious um, reaches at least as far back as um, Frederick Jameson's uh, book called The Political Unconscious. Frederick Jameson, the American literary critic. Um, so, you know, his, his, in his book, The Political Unconscious, his basic argument is that art, art as we know it, is a means of problem solving. It's a means of pr solving unconscious political and cultural and social problems. So the idea of a, of a political unconscious goes, you know, as, at least as far back as, as Frederick Jameson's book, which came out in the early 1980s. Um, more recently though, uh, in, in the 21st century, you, you, one, will, one will have seen um, analysts like Andrew Samuels um, writing a book called The Political Psyche or Rod Tweedy's recent edited collection, The Political Self. So the idea of a, of a political mind, if you like, is, is not, um, it's, it's not a discovery. It's something that, that analysts and psychologists have been writing about for, for some years now. So, so of course, you know, um, most of us are, are, are most familiar with the idea of the personal unconscious, right, a la Freud. Um, and then, of course, the, the idea of the, the collective unconscious, um, as per Jung, you know, the idea that there is this shared um, unconscious that, that serves as the repository for, you know, archetypes like the wise old man and, and the earth mother and the shadow and, and, and so on. So, so all I'm doing by, by talking about the political unconscious is just broadening the terms of reference. Um, that the unconscious doesn't have to be just personal, that it doesn't have to be collective. It can also be political in the sense that there are, um, you know, it, it does make sense to speak about unsolvable political problems, unsolvable political social problems that because they are, because they are so difficult to, to, to solve, let alone talk about, they just get they just get banished. They just get banished to a, a, nether, a nether region. Um, I mean, of course, I, you know, I'm, I'm talking quite sort of allegorically here, and, and, and I'm aware of that, that there's a much more technical vocabulary that, that goes along with speaking about the unconscious. 
But, but broadly, that's what I mean by a political unconscious. Uh, uh, do you also mean, uh, I'm, I'm making the, uh, sorry, let me first of all say this, uh, you, 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 you who listening to Wakbi, um, please note how he just sort of like, you know, en passant mentions all of this literature. Uh, th that's the other incredible thing about the book. It's so erudite without being fancy fancy, you know, it's sort of, you've got an incredible knowledge of your field, but you know, you just speak directly. Half the names you just mentioned, by the way, I've never heard of. They're, they're, they're clearly very familiar uh, to you. The, the, but, but to come back to what I wanted to say, this is not my next question. This is a follow-up on, on, on your comment now. I mean, it, 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 extrapolating from the personal unconscious, what is rendered unconscious is um, often, you know, what one uh, dares not allow oneself to think. Um, you know, what, what may not be said um, it's there, but it can't be talked about, it can't be acknowledged. Uh, is, is that also not part of what you're talking about when you speak of a political unconscious? Uh, and well, I'm mind there also what, what I was saying uh, earlier about your courage, because I think a large part of what you're doing in this book is beginning to lift the lid on that political unconscious. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what you just described, what you just articulated, Mark, is, is exactly it, that it also includes... The things that we we dare not we dare not lift the lid on the things that we dare not um, talk about. Um, so that that most certainly uh, would be part of it. I mean, I suppose we're also talking about the idea of of disavowal. Um, um, you know, and I'm sort of I'm quoting Zizek here now, where he says, "I know, but I don't want to know that I know, so I don't know." Um, and and that I think you know, summarizes very nicely what the political unconscious is about, the things that we don't want to know about our political realities and by implication, the things that we don't want to talk about. Yes, it brings to mind that, that often heard phrase, I'm not a racist, but... <laughs> so let, let me move on then to, to properly my, my, my next question, which is the fourth. I'm counting them down because remember, in the end, you've got to make a diagnosis for us. The, 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 the fourth thing I wanted to ask you, Akbi, and again, you know, uh, uh, there's the, this concept of the political unconscious, which is so fundamental to your entire uh, 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 perspective and, and, and what, you, what, what you teach us in, in this book, reveal for us. Um, but other concepts which make prominent appearances um, are notions of dignity, um, re recognition, respect, um, you know, these, these are psychological words. Um, and you'll explain, no doubt, uh, why, uh, I, 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 I'm, uh, why I've alighted on those words. They, you know how important they are to, to what you're saying to us. But, you know, these are, as I've just said, psychological words. Um, the, the worry, I'm sure, uh, perhaps in your own mind, when you took the approach that you did, but perhaps in many listeners' minds or, 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 read, or, or potential readers' minds. You know, I mean, can you really use psychological words like that in terms of trying to get to what needs, what, what needs to be done? Um, in a country where what needs to be done is getting you know, government to be accountable, uh, service delivery, uh, 
changing people's material conditions. I mean, the the, the inequalities, um, the, the the material um, inequalities, the, the the corruption, the 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 the, the, under, the the protest that arises from all of these things uh, that I'm speaking about, uh, the violence. Um, is 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 there not a risk attached to to psychologizing these things uh, and and thereby um, sort of uh, um, detracting the material nature of and and economic and political nature of these problems? Mark, I think that feeds in really nicely to to the first question you asked about why I wrote the book, and you know. Just to quickly revisit that, you know, intellectually, I was intrigued, puzzled by, by the problem of the relationship between the individual and the social and how typically the two levels of analysis are, are, are separated out from each other. Then you get the situation of mutual recriminations between, you know, flying back and forth between psychologists and, and, and sociologists. So to answer the question you're asking now, you know, am I not psychologizing um, in, in my analysis of what are fundamentally material problems? I would say that, that the, the, you know, to, to, to identify our problems as purely material is to overlook their psychological dimensions. I don't, I don't think that it's possible to, to separate it out. So, for example, let's take the land question, right? The land question um, for many is about material concerns, material well-being. Um, but in the book, I argue that's only part of it. The, 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 the question about land is, is an existential question as well. You know, to, to, to own land, to live on one's little piece of heaven, is to, is to feel confident with, within oneself, is to feel rooted to place, is to feel that one can focus on, on questions of, 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 of meaning rather than on, on questions of material survival. So that's just one example of a, of a topic that, that, that often just gets treated as a material one, and yet it's got such powerful psychological accompaniments. And that really is, is the approach I take throughout this book that when one looks at the question um, of, of inequality, for example, um, yes, it's, it's, it's rooted in, in, in materiality. Um, when one looks at um, student protests, for example, um, about you know, um, fee-free um, education and so on, yes, to an extent it's rooted in, in a material problem, but we cannot overlook the, the psychological dimensions um, of those problems um, as well. You know, to, to the, the experience of relative poverty, for example, a material problem is saturated in shame. Um, that's one of the, the major arguments that I, that I make um, in this book. So we, at, at all points, I try to, to hold a, what one might call a psychosocial line of argument to not just focus on the material um, or the social at the expense of the psychological. And, and that really is, is the challenge um, in, in writing a book like this, to, to be able to hold both domains in conversation with each other, 
without collapsing, without collapsing the, the seeming dichotomy in one direction or another. And again, I, you know, I want to I want to stress that point that it's 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 a seeming dichotomy. You know, perhaps perhaps we're you know we we, we tend to think of you know mind and body, psyche and soma, that, that the two are separate. And yet, I, I I argue in this book that it's it's unhelpful. It's unhelpful for us to 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 think in 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 those sorts of terms when when clearly the problems are not just material. They're psychological as well. Um, you know, in terms of interventions, therefore, there are implications as well. That it, it's not just about um, material interventions. We're the ones talking about um, job creation, um, redistribution of, of resources. You know, that, those are material solutions. But the accompanying um, psychological solutions, if you will, around mutual respect mutual recognition, um, earnestly trying to, to find each other in, in conversation, that domain cannot be overlooked. The two go hand in hand, material and, and mental. That's um, so obviously true, but, it, but uh, you had to say it first, you know, and, 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 and explicate it in the way that you have. And as you say, that's what I, my earlier question was about exactly this, and that question uh, two years ago in a different world um, where we had physical conferences um, about, you know, that we need to speak about the internal aspect, uh, which, as you say, is so inextricable. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm very, I was in reading your book very touched or moved or affected by uh, what you had to say about the shame. Um, of poverty, uh, you know that 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 for me in a painful way illustrates exactly the point that you're making. But I, if I may try for a moment to be as courageous as you, and 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 let's hope that that um, I don't suffer the consequences. Uh, that concept uh, at our university, uh, you know, the terrible struggles that have gone on there, and the and the enormous difficulties that students from historically disadvantaged backgrounds have had. That that word came to mind many times, arrogance and shame. You know the the, the which are mirror images of each other. Um, but I will say no more about that. I will rather confess um, to being a landowner, in light of what you said uh, on that score. And a, a very telling moment when I when I first came back to South Africa, uh, I had uh, uh, I hosted um, an Australian sociologist. Um, uh, as a visitor on my farm. And I was showing her around and said to her, you know, look at this and look at that. And I just love this place, I said to her. And although she was a sociologist, she made this psychological remark, which cut to the quick. She said, but why do you have to own what you love? And uh, that set a deep process uh, of thought uh, uh, going in, in, in my mind, because of course, psychologically speaking, you cannot own what you love. That's not love. Uh, I also think that there are many, uh, I mean, I think about these things because of my awkward position of being a landowner, that I, I think that there are psychological impediments to land reform, not least of them fear and guilt. Uh, you know, things that people, that, that, that landowners, that the beneficiaries of our history 
that they don't want to look at. But look, let's move on. I'm watching the clock. Let me move on to my fifth and penultimate question. Um, what, uh, if you can, Wachbi, what, what, you know, this phrase, the American phrase, take home message. Uh, what do you want us, what do you want your readers to take away from this book uh, once, once they've read it? Mark, I think there, you know, there are a couple of things. I, I suppose that, you know, when, when, I, when I look at this book, I, I think that, that one of its, its, its achievements, if I, if, I can, if I can use that word, is, is that it, it provides a language. It's a, it provides a psychosocial language for us to think about the problems which, which we don't know how to think about. Um, and, and of course, when it comes to talking about these problems, it's very difficult to do that if there isn't a language. Um, and, and so I think that that is something that, that readers can definitely take away from, from this book. Just to, 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 to begin to, to, to develop a vocabulary, a psychosocial vocabulary for describing the South African malaise. The, the other thing also is that I, I also want to drive home the point through this book that the psychological still counts. You know, when we're, when we're faced by, by such um, steep odds in terms of our material problems, you know, violence, inequality, um, substance abuse, and, 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 and all the rest, it, it can seem as though the psychological is, is, is trivial, th that it doesn't really matter. But again, you know, the, the psychosocial perspective is that material, you know, you don't have a material domain and then you've got a, a psychological domain. You don't have a social domain and then you've got a psychological domain. It's all tied up um, together. And I, and I suppose that's my way of saying that in spite of all the material problems that, that we face, the small things, the small things still count. Um, and by the small things, I mean acts of recognition, acts of recognition, acts of respect, um, treating one another with dignity, really striving, really struggling to, to understand one another. These are not, these are not minuscule matters. These are, these are significant problems, I think, that, that South Africans um, struggle with. And they are all, and, and these psychological struggles are caught up with the material ones that, that we face. Well, fantastic, Wakbi. I, I agree with you. It's, it's a, a language, a vocabulary, but also it's a starting of a conversation with that vocabulary that you've given us. So great, thank you. So now um, you're not off the hook, remember, the sixth and final question. What is wrong with us? What's the matter with South Africa, Wakbi? Professor of Psychology, tell us. Mark, I'm afraid I'm going to have to give the DSM a wide berth. Uh, I don't think the DSM um, can, can come up with, with the answer here. We, we are a, a special case. But perhaps, perhaps, perhaps not so. I, I, th I think that the problem in South Africa, and, and I know I've used those words several times already, but I guess it just underscores the salience of, of these words. The problem in South Africa for me is a problem of recognition. It's a problem of recognition. It's a problem of 
respect. It's a problem of dignity. Or more pointedly, it's a problem of misrecognition. It's a problem of disrespect. And it's a problem of, of indignity. And these are not just psychological terms. To come back to, you know, I think it was your third question. These are concerns that are wrapped up, psychological concerns wrapped up in our material concerns and actually indistinguishable from them. Now, the, you know, the question of, of respect, of dignity, is, I think, the major concern for identity politics, which is probably the, the predominant form of, of politics um, in, in the 21st century. You know, class politics was, was big in the, in the 20th century, but I think it's, it's identity politics these days. And the question of respect is paramount, is, is really paramount there. It's perhaps interesting to sort of juxtapose it that way, that you've got the politics of class and you've got the politics of, of, of identity. And, and, and often that, distinct, that distinction replicates the division between the material, the social material, and on the other hand, the psychological. And, and what I'm saying is that, you know, it's, it's a false distinction to talk about class politics on the one hand and identity politics on the other. They both speak to the same problem. And it's the problem of, of disrespect, of, of indignity, of, of misrecognition. Um, and, and of course, it, it, is, it is something that goes back centuries in the case of, of us as South Africans. You know, some have argued um, that the question of recognition is the story of our species, that the history of, of, of humankind is a history of masters and slaves, where the master seeks to be recognized and the slave just seeks to preserve whatever dregs of a dignified life um, are possible. So in a sense, we're dealing with a South African problem, but we also seem to be dealing with a problem that stretches across time and, and, and stretches across place. Does that mean that the, the situation is, is, is unsolvable? I don't want to offer an, an idealized solution, but all I, all I can say is, is that the, the struggle to recognize each other, the struggle to respect each other, the struggle to acknowledge each other, it's got psychological components, obviously, but it's got very clear material components as well. And that is the, that is the task, that is the challenge, that is the burden of our history um, as South Africans. That is, that is what it is, I believe, that, that, that we're confronting. And it's going to require, it's going to require all of us to, to pull in, in, in that direction. You know, the struggle for recognition, the, the struggle for, you know, the struggle to recognize another person, to truly try and understand them psychologically and materially is no trivial feat. I mean, how, you know, who can truly say that they understand fully another human being? In a sense, it's an impossible ask. But it is, for me, the burden that, that we face. It's the burden that we face. It, it's a work in progress. So I, I think that it, it is something to, to strive towards. It's an ideal to strive towards, whilst also you know, keeping in mind that the other is always elusive. Just when you think you've found someone, 
they've changed. And then you have to carry on striving. You've got to carry on striving to know, to recognize, to acknowledge. Well, we're coming to the end of this part of uh, our proceedings. And, uh, but I want to say before I hand over to you as our chair of our Q&A, uh, Melinda, I, I want you to just respond to, to what we just said now. I mean, it was such a, th- th- this is what this book's about, you know, that I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed to admit I hadn't realized that absolutely obvious thing that identity politics is a psychological politics, you know? And so the, the, this book is just full of these kind of like aha moments. Like, oh yeah, now I get it. Yeah. So um, I want to speak on behalf of, as a reader of this book and the future readers of this book by saying that we are grateful to you, Wakwi. It's, it's a breath of fresh air. Thanks very, very much. Uh, Over to you, Melinda. I am so excited about the conversation that I've been listening to. I have some questions that I have. Um, Jonathan Janssen has been there and he has asked you, what are the things we dare not speak about? Not clear what you mean, Wabi. Thanks. Thanks, Melinda. And and thanks, Jonathan, um, for, for, for your question. You know, I, I suppose that, you know, if, if one reads this book, then it will be very clear what it is that we are afraid to, to talk about. Maybe I can, maybe I can just give a, um, um, a taster, for example. Um, in the chapter on, on, on impasse, um, or, well, the, the book is structured like this. You know, I, I look at different segments of the South African population. And, and in a sense, the segments, the three segments that I look at effectively make up the whole South African population. So the one chapter looks at the, the poor and working classes. Um, and specifically, I would say the question of violence. The, the, the second chapter looks at the, the rising black middle class and the question of, I think, symbolic violence. And then there's another chapter which looks at white South Africans and the, the, the racial antipathy, the racial ambivalence, I think, that um, many white South Africans still struggle with in terms of imagining their place um, in the South African political order and whether or not they even want to be a, a part of it. So there are a few, if you like, holy cows that I, that I take on in, in, in each of these chapters. Um, in the chapter on, on, on impasse, I look at the, the position of the dog, the colonial dog specifically, and I, I try to get, I, I try to dig into the matter of, of how white South Africans relate to their pets and specifically their dogs. And, and, and of course that, you know, that can be a, quite a touchy subject. That can be quite a touchy subject when one starts making comments about the relationships between white people and their, and their pets, uh, specifically their dogs. So Jonathan, that's one example of one of the things that we dare not speak about. I'm just really brushing the surface. The, the analysis goes much deeper. Yeah, white people and their dogs. All right, let's move on to Leslie Schwartz. Uh, thank you, Wabi, for writing this book. I can't wait to read it. I can hear that you make a compelling case for psychoanalytically informed thinking to understand ourselves as South Africans. 
But are you suggesting that in terms of changing people as individuals and society as a whole, how, if at all, does psychoanalysis fit in? Many people, including psychologists, argue that we can't afford all this theory in terms of wanting to help change people's lives. What are your thoughts on this? Thanks, Leslie. Gosh, I must say there are some luminaries in, in the audience today. And, and again, uh, um, another great question. So, Leslie, you know, my, my answer would be that the classic psychologist response, that it begins with understanding. It begins with understanding. And, and, and of course, you know, one could quote Marx ad nauseum here that the point is to change the world, right? Not just to stop at, at understanding it. But at the end of the day, um, you know, there can be no revolutionary movement without a revolutionary understanding. One could quote someone like, you know, Kurt Lewin and that famous aphorism of his, there's nothing quite so practical as a good theory. If we don't understand what it is that we are dealing with psychologically, it becomes very difficult, I think, to engage with the, the different dimensions, not just the material dimensions of the problems that we face. I mean, let me also say that if I think of our, you know, our, our understanding of, of the human condition, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously partial in, in, in this way because I do think that when it comes to really plumbing the depths of human interiority, there are certainly riches within the psychoanalytic canon that, that, one would, that, that I certainly wouldn't want to, to, to pass up on. So I don't, I don't claim that psychoanalysis is the answer, right? Some kind of uh, magic bullet for our problems. But I do think that to, to begin to address our problems um, in, in all their shapes and forms, we have to understand what it is that we're dealing with. And, and psychoanalysis, I think, or at least psychoanalytic theory, is a great place to start. Karen Lee Goiking. Karen Lee says, finally, a book that South Africa has long been waiting for. Thanks, Wabi, for taking this on. Could you please specify what the political unconscious may be for us as South Africans in terms of the psychological effects of apartheid and its concomitant brutality regarding feelings, the language of the psyche? Uh, Karen Lee, that was a, that's another big question. Again, I would say I would say read the book, but the, the, there are there are a few emotions that the book certainly focuses on. Shame, shame is one of them. Shame within the context of of relative poverty, in other words, inequality. Envy, envy is another. Again, I talk about envy. I write about envy in the context of disempowering feelings of dependence, right? That that sort of give rise to envious actions. Um, and then also I, I talk about uh, impasse, right? Impasse, ambivalence. The, these are the, the main, if you like, emotions that I, that I look at. But, you know, I'm, I'm not suggesting that these emotions are unconscious. I, I actually don't think they're unconscious. I think that these, these emotions are largely conscious and perhaps, perhaps to some extent just outside our awareness. But I certainly don't see them as residing somewhere in the unconscious. For me, the, the, the political unconscious is, is it's not really the place of emotion. It's the place of, of, of the thoughts, right? The unthought, the unthinkable thoughts um, attached to those, those emotions. That's, that's what's in the political unconscious. These thoughts 
to, to um, go back to Jonathan's question earlier, these thoughts that we dare not think. I have one little question that I want to slip into the, to the end of the conversation. And it's a very simple question, but I don't know if it's easy to answer. I think what's on a lot of people's minds in this country is a feeling of, is there a way that we can be okay? <laughs> Are we going to be okay, Wabi? Well, if, if, Mark's, if Mark's response by the time he finished the book is, is anything to go by, then yes, we, we, we will be okay. I, you know, I, I try very hard in, in the book, particularly in the closing chapters, not to lapse into idealization. You know, that coming back to Leslie's question earlier, that, you know, if, if, if only we understand, then everything's going to be okay. Um, that certainly is, is not what I'm, what I'm advocating. I argue, in fact, that hope, hope is not something that, that resides within me or within you, Melinda. Hope is something that we have to cultivate, you know, to, to use the psychoanalytic term, intersubjectively. It's an emotion that we have to build between us. And the way that I chart forward in, in terms of building that hope is by is via the, the, the question of recognition, the question of respect, the question of dignity. And again, I know I'm, I sound like a broken record. That question, not just in its psychological, you know, its normal psychological um, associations, but in its material dimensions as well. What a beautiful way to end. Um, Wabi and Mark, uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, Wabi, you have been incredible. Mark, I would love you to close this this conversation off but thank you for your beautiful and insightful questions and sensitivity and support for this book mark Sobs. well if you want me to close the conversation off i'll say i'll say two things one of which i've said already but the first one is not the one i've said already what we said well if mark's uh, reaction is anything to go by then there is hope and earlier on in the conversation he said and mark said um, that the point is not so much to understand the world as to change it. And I thought, did I say that? <laughs> but um, on a more serious note and, and saying the thing that I've said already, Wahbi, uh, genuinely, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for writing this book. We have, we have every reason to be grateful to you um, for having the courage to write this book and to start this conversation and to give us the words to, to do so. Um, thank you. Thank you.